Behold, the genius Lanny Popper, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video score. You're listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host JP Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Hello again, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Pavo, and this is my very dear friend... J.P. Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com. And how have things been for you, Lanny? Never better. Everything's great, and the podcast is doing great, and I'm so happy. And all your hard work is paying off. A lot of hard work's going into the show, and we've had Corey Rivert on our YouTube page. Been hard at work putting clips up from every episode we've done so far. I want to put a shout-out for our YouTube page. So go on YouTube.com right now, search The Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo, hit subscribe, and then, of course, when we're done with this episode, you can go and listen to clips from shows maybe you haven't listened to yet. So you can see what we've done so far. If you like what you hear, go back to some of our old episodes and have a listen. We're very happy with the praise we've been getting. And, you know, the Evan Ginsberg show we had last week, a lot of people have been saying that's their favorite episode to date. And that does my heart good because Evan's not really a name people know about. But, you know, he's been around, in and around the business for over 40 years, really. He's a great person, a great listen, a lot of stories to share, and it really makes us feel good to know that you guys enjoyed that interview. I'll tell you what, I just got an email from Jason Ganya. I'm so excited because he was the one, you talking about our relationship with Corey, I met his sister in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Right. And that was about, I don't know, a year and a half ago. He wanted to book me in Calgary, which is where I was born. And just amazingly, I'm a friend with Annie Patterson, one of the first girls to sing in the um, the Calgary Stampede. Sure. Now I get to meet her if she shows up, you know. Also, I wanted to go to Banff National Park before I croaked, you know. And uh, this is great. It's going to be in the springtime when the weather is a little bit thawed out, and yet they have that briskness in the air. Wow, what a great guy Jason Gagne is, and... Uh, And we wouldn't have met Corey if not for going to Winnipeg. Now, you mentioned you were born in Calgary. Another place you spent a lot of time in your life was in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, we got an email at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com by Rob T. It was a really wonderful email. I want to share it with our listeners now. He says, Lanny, I hope this finds you well. I was born and raised on Winnipeg Way in Lexington, Kentucky, which is on the other side of Toronto Road, which is where you guys used to live. We used to see you and Randy and Junkyard Dog all working out in the front living room of your house because you would have the front door open. Well, my friend lived next door, and we were playing wiffle ball in the backyard. We knocked the wiffle ball into your backyard, and we had the honor and task of going to your door and knocking and asking if we can get the ball back. When I knocked on the door, full of fear, Randy answered shirtless and flexing and said in his best, What do you want, kid? I said, Mr. Savage, we knocked our wiffle ball into your backyard and I want to know if we can get it. He didn't even look at me and he said, Oh yeah, I love wiffle ball. And proceeded to go into the backyard and play wiffle ball with four or five 14-year-old boys for the next hour. It just goes to show his true level of commitment to both his craft and his fans. 
man, I love that memory and your family for it. That is incredible. I mean, I love stories like this. Do you have memories of you or your brother playing baseball or wiffle ball with the fans nearby in Lexington? Not me, but he would do that. Yes, I don't. Uh, the moment that I realized I wasn't going to be a baseball player, that's the last time I held a bat of any kind, plastic or wood. No kidding. Yes. But um, Junkyard Dog would not have been there. He probably meant Pez Watley. Yeah, I thought so when I was reading that. I kept it in just in case you, you would be the one to correct me on that. But yeah, so Pez Watley was there and you guys were all working out. And of course, Randy got to go play baseball with them. That's incredible. It's a good game to for your reflexes and stuff. And Randy loved to be active. You know, he really crammed a lot of living into his 58 and a half years. We love hearing these stories. We, we always share them amongst us. And then we always put the good ones on the show. So thank you for sending that in, Rob. So by the time this episode airs, Thanksgiving will have come and gone. But for the sake of not confusing things, we're recording this on Monday, the 19th of November, one week before the show drops. I'm going to be flying out from London to Chicago tomorrow to spend Thanksgiving with my family out there. What is your typical Thanksgiving tradition, Lanny? Oh, it's overeating, overdrinking, and then fasting afterwards with uh, a feeling of poor self-worth. Do you have some of that tofurkey? No. I eat real turkey. Here's the deal. I'm a vegetarian that cheats. Okay, I eat real turkey on Thanksgiving. I eat real turkey on Christmas. And when I travel, I live like Anthony Bourdain, my hero. Thanks to Netflix, I always have plenty of Anthony Bourdain. He's gone but never forgotten. And when you go to a new place, you've got to try the new food. Otherwise, you shouldn't even leave your house. Speaking of the holidays, I'm going to be pulling one of our questions from the end of the show. This one comes from Ben Jones from Perth, Australia. He wrote and asked... Did Vince McMahon ever do anything for the talent when they worked Thanksgiving or Christmas? What does that mean? For instance, you know, you're going to be away from your family. Um, did he ever do a special meal for the people that work for the company? Uh, would you pay the talent a bit more for working on the day or what? No, we never got anything more. Uh, let's say when we did TVs, they were catered. Okay. And when I was at WrestleMania, like at the uh, 2015 in San Jose, right, Santa Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. I was part of the show because I inducted my brother into the Hall of Fame. I noticed that the quality of the buffet had gone through the roof. I mean, it was so great, especially a guy like me that's on greens, onions, mushrooms, beans, berries, and seeds. Um, I had everything I needed for, and I just loaded up on it. It was fantastic. And uh, so I noticed they're treating the wrestlers much better than they treated us back then. And did we make more money for working on holidays? Nope. We made great money anyway. I always felt that I was overpaid. And uh, so even even on whether it was, you understand, I knew that the money I was making, I couldn't make anywhere else. And it was a tremendous raise for me to go to the WWE. That's the reason I don't like to knock them. Because who signs my check is whose praise I sing. And even though they haven't done a thing for me lately, I feel gratitude for what they made me. And that is, you know, a guy that, uh, let's face it, the Genius Cast wouldn't be anything without Vince's promotion earlier. That's a great attitude to have about it. I've heard a lot of good things about the catering over at WWE. It's almost like Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner every single day. Yeah. Very lucky. Yes, they have spared no expense. I want to thank Ben for that question. Now, he's actually the listener who reached out to you saying thank you for sharing your Aborigine story a few episodes back. We appreciate your support, Ben. Well, you know, I never saw an Aborigine in my life, 
Okay, and then I saw pictures, and of course, the movie Quigley Down Under, you know, it had Aborigines there, mm -hmm. but there's nothing like meeting one, and they speak that beautiful Aussie accent, you know, and she was gorgeous, and Lenny, you're my favorite wrestler, and I said, oh, I've been flying for two days in a row, and I'm so tired, and you're so beautiful. I thought to myself, wow, this is the reason I came to meet this girl, and uh, of course, she must be in her 40s now. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just not everything counts that can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. In other words, it isn't all about the money. It's about I got to go to Australia and now I've got all these beautiful memories. And what was the greatest memory? Yes, I saw a koala bear and kangaroo and all these things. But meeting that Aborigine girl at the age of 10 and she's a wrestling fan and she likes me, that was worth the trip. And that's the memory that I will keep to the rest of my life. It's incredible the reach of fans across the world. I mean, even with our show, we were talking last week how, you know, each week we're in the top 10 for sporting podcasts in Poland, Argentina, Venezuela is another one that's been popping up. So it's really incredible. And you were on your travels for work. You'd probably be recognized wherever you went. And it must have blown your mind. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons I didn't want to do a podcast is because everybody's doing a podcast. Why should we? But now I realize because of you, JP, we have no competition. We are the competition. You're the guy that knows how to edit and bring in music and, you know, Make it great like Vince McMahon used to make it great. His wrestling was better than any, uh, you know, because like the people that he chose for the lighting were the greatest lighting people in the world, the sound, you know, everything. And then he overpaid them so they wouldn't want to leave, you know, and that was the reason he had the best show. And uh, you could feel the production value. Well, in our podcast, I'm shocked every time I listen to it because the production value is so good and it's all because of you, not because of me. I don't know how to edit. I mean, I may be the genius because that's a name, but you are the genius of this show. That's high praise coming from you. So, Lanny, they call you the genius, right? Oh, yeah. They uh, mistakenly call me the genius. Well, we all know what rhymes with genius. Last week, we got a lot of people writing in and saying how much they enjoyed our ad. It's not often that listeners say, hey, I enjoyed that advertisement. It made me smile. But actually, we're talking about BlueChew.com. They're one of our new sponsors. And look, if you're looking to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed, listen up. Okay, men. I've never had a problem, but my friend did. Okay, my friend. Haha. <laughs> so the great thing about BlueChew is you never know when you're going to get lucky. So you keep the Blue Chew on you at all times, and then it works really quickly. When they're ready, you're ready. BlueChew.com, it brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they're going to work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, like you mentioned, Lenny, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you could be ready whenever that opportunity arises. Arises, huh? Listen... Never know when you're going to get lucky, so have it on you, and when preparation meets opportunity, success happens. Blue Chew's prescribed online. It ships straight to your door in discreet packaging, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So right now, Lanny, we've got a very special deal that we're excited about for our listeners. Go to BlueChew.com. 
put your first shipment in and it's going to be free using that special promo code genius that's g-e-n-i-u-s you just pay five dollars for shipping again that's b-l-u-e chew.com promo code genius to try it for free blue chew is the better cheaper faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast now we're incredibly excited to have jeff jarrett on this week's episode of the genius cast now, Lanny alluded to us bringing in some really good surprises over the next couple of weeks, and Jeff Jarrett's just one of them. We got in touch with him, oh, about a week ago, and we're going to be running a piece up on ProWrestlingStories.com about the NWA's anniversary show and its 70 years of existence. And this opened up the conversation between Jeff and I. I mentioned that you and I have a show, Lanny, and the moment I mentioned your name, he was excited to be on it. You could just tell that he lit up like a kid who was talking about one of his heroes from the moment and he answered the phone until we got off. He was jovial. He answered all our questions. And I even hit a couple of questions that I thought he'd react a bit negatively, but he didn't. So we thank Jeff for being a great guest on our show. And we're going to bring you this interview now. We're thrilled to have third-generation wrestler and promoter, 81-time champion, WWE Hall of Famer, J-E-double-F, J-A-double-R-E-double-T, Jeff Jarrett on the Genius Cast today. How are things going for you, Jeff? Good, JP. I appreciate you guys having me on. Looking forward to this. When you sent the invite out, the Genius Cast, as we briefly stated right before we rolled this uh, recording, me and Lanny, our uh, family histories go way, way back. So I've been, I've been looking forward to this. The Poffos and the Jarretts have been in the wrestling business for many, many years, and you guys probably have a lot of parallels that will will come across in this show. So thank you for being on our show. Now, you've got quite the impressive resume. You've wrestled in all the biggest promotions across the world, you know, from the WWE, WCW, TNA, AWA, NWA, AAA, the USWA, New Japan, you name it. You began your time in wrestling in 86 under your father, Jerry's Continental Wrestling Association, first as a referee, and then you trained under your father in Tojo Yamamoto. What was it like growing up with wrestling all around you? Oh, wow. Um, you know, as I look back on it, uh, uh, every day that goes by, I, uh, I truly mean this, that, that I'm, I'm forever grateful uh, for having the opportunity. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, paths and roads that, that people take uh, getting into the business. Uh, but man, I was very fortunate. Um, I grew up with my mom, uh, my, my parents divorced when I was three years of age. So, you know, I was living with my mom, but, but I was, I truly was a wrestling fan first as a little kid. Uh, and then, uh, you know, getting to go to the matches at a real young age with my dad and traveling a little bit in the summers and going to what we would call spot shows, uh, small one-off towns, high school gyms, armories and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I, I I'm very very grateful that, uh, you know, how I got into the business. And as Jim Cornette uh, once said, or he said it many times, uh, it, it's the greatest blessing I've had for, the, for, for getting into the business and all, absolutely the worst curse. Uh, so I'll take that. And, 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 and here we are 32 years later, and we're, we're, we're talking on a podcast to the genius. Now, Lanny, do you agree with that quote? Yeah, I'll tell you, except for the part where it was the curse. But I just want to say one thing to you, Jeff. Your speech at the Hall of Fame when you were inducted was fantastic. And I really felt it. It was like speaking right to me. 
instead of reading on a piece of paper. And I want you to take that as a compliment. Um, you are a new member of the WWE Hall of Fame and you brought a reality to the speech. What do you think, JP? Didn't he do well? I thought it was amazing. I'm glad that you were able to come back to WWE, go in front of the fans, and of course, sing your song. Amazing. How was that for you? Uh, well, the song was, uh, uh, I, I don't want to call it an afterthought, but it was one of those things, you know, n- knowing sort of the circumstances and what was going to go into it. And, and I knew the speech um, was going to be emotional for me. I, I knew it from the day that I got the call in early January of this year that it was going to be an emotional time. And as the weeks leading up to it, and then, you know, getting to New Orleans and reconnecting with so many faces, not just guys that had been in front of the camera, but people behind the scenes and then just reconnecting with so many people, uh, Vince McMahon included. Uh, and then, you know, having to perform the song, no earpieces, um, me and Brian up there, they wanted us to walk through the crowd. So it was, uh, it was challenging, but me and him, had, as we always do, uh, we, we had a lot of fun with it, uh, but but no, I appreciate both you guys' compliments uh, on the speech, and it was without question, uh, 100% from the heart. No, I think it's fair to say everyone was pretty shocked when your name was announced to be inducted. Um, not that you didn't deserve it, but because of your relationship with WWE over the years and the way you left. What was your initial reaction like when you got that call? I was incredibly grateful and incredibly humbled by the offer and by the opportunity. And, and as Lanny could probably relate, you know, um, when you've been in the industry, uh, more than a wrestler, a, 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 you know, whatever you want to call it, booker, creative owner, promoter, wearing multiple hats. I knew that this offer, uh, I knew where it came from and I knew that it didn't have to be made. It, it, it was a decision that they, didn't have to make. So I was incredibly grateful for it. Um, but you know, as the years rolled along, uh, you know, there was so much made on how I was left and, and, and all the circumstances that went around with it. I, I never, uh, so to speak, played into that. Uh, the wrestling fans, uh, never let a good story get in the way of facts or or never let facts get in the way of a good story. Uh, But, but, uh, no, it's a business. Uh, always has been, always will be. And if it's good for business, uh, that's what happens. And so, you know, when I went our, when we went our separate ways uh, in 2001, um, you know, I, I obviously it's well documented, started TNA and, and, you know, it's not like I got out of the business. I stayed in the business and, and, uh, and, and, and thankfully so. And here our paths crossed again. Uh, some 17 years later, and it was a, it, it was it was a very special time, and and I'm just so elated. My dad got to come, my family was there. It was a special uh, special weekend, that's for sure. What's your relationship like now with WWE? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, you know, uh, obviously Road Dog. Uh, before we'll say before, during, and after, uh, we've always had a great relationship. He's uh, worked for me, worked with me uh, over the years. Um, and, and many, many others uh, there. You know, I couldn't be happier for the guys like Bobby Roode and AJ and Samoa Joe and uh, Eric Young and, and, and that group of guys. So it, I've got friends throughout, uh, business associates throughout. And uh, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's been reconnecting and uh, things really had not slowed down since. I mentioned earlier that you were trained under uh, Yamamoto. Now, Tojo, he was super instrumental in your father's career. They feuded, teamed, rode down the road together which must have been an education for your dad. Do you have any stories about him? And hell, throw in Jackie Fargo's name if you can. Sure. Well, you know, Tojo, as far as entering training, he did 
uh, I, I'll call it a uh, limited amount, you know, at that stage of his career. And, and, you know, really Tojo was never, he certainly wasn't a high flyer, uh, but his psychology and, and more than anything, Tojo, um, I, I believe that, that I took from him and, and I'm not the only guy is the art of selling. Uh, and, and, you know, Tojo was very intr- instrumental and, and, I guess you could say getting your head right, your mindset uh, on the nuances of, of of selling things and carrying it through, and and you know you were right. Uh, he he was very instrumental in my father's wrestling career, uh, and so it was pretty cool that uh, in those early years, um, you know, one thing that sort of goes uh, well not in mine but in my career. You know, I, I broke in in April of '86 and and had several guys around me sort of just teaching me the very, very basics, but it was, you know, within my first year, I, um, I got to work. It was 18 straight weeks, seven nights a week. Most times at the very least it was five nights a week. So between five and seven nights a week, I got to wrestle, uh, with a guy named Akio Sato. Uh, he later, later managed the Orient Express, Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond, but Akio Sato is a Japanese, uh, wrestler and his partner was Tozo Gotos, but I got to be at a tag match and, and, and Tojo was there every night. So he was at ringside watching my development. And when I look back and, and think about different things that I'm super grateful for, I mean, to wrestle in front of a live crowd, uh, five to six to seven nights a week for four months, that's what is, is, is unbelievable. And I'll look back and all kinds of, you know, tag matches, single matches, um, gimmick matches, um, you know, winning, losing, disqualifications, all types of scenarios. That's really where that, that's the true building blocks of my in-ring training took place. And I, I just don't think uh, you can, for me, for my career, I couldn't put a price on that. There's no way uh, someone could have paid for that. There's no way you could have gotten in a gym and, 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 and a ring and done that because it was on the job training in front of a live crowd. And Akio Sato was in the ring fundamentally as sound as it gets. And Tojo knew the style, knew, knew the, the style for this area, the selling and all that. So Tojo was great. And, and occasionally Fargo would come in and throw his pizzazz. And, I, you know, it's my child. I, I grew up. I, I, by far, Jackie Fargo was my favorite. And then uh, Jerry Lawler was right behind that. So those two guys and then to get to work with both of them uh, in the first couple of years of my career was special. You mentioned Jerry Lawler. Now, he's got a big history with the Jarrett family. I mean, he was your father's long-term business partner. They had a great business relationship, but like any relationship, it could get a bit testy. What's the angriest you ever saw your father get with Lawler? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, you know, him getting angry uh, to Jerry's face, um, you know, I don't believe I ever saw them have an argument, ever. Uh, now I've heard Lawler, uh, be frustrated at my father and I've heard my father be frustrated at Lawler. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's sort of what made their magic work. They were partners and Lawler did things his way and my dad did things their way and they weren't the same, but it made for a healthy mix for a lot of years, uh, an awful lot of years. You look back on 77, 78, 79, and then obviously, uh, in 80 and, and Lawler, uh, at the height of his, I'll call it his in-ring career from about, I don't know, 77 or eight till about 85 or 86. Um, just spectacular business. That's when me and Lanny, uh, first met and, and his father and his brother. Uh, but no, um, Lawler had a super run there and that magic of them, you know, um, 
my dad and 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 law are i don't want to call them opposites but but on some things they're polar opposites but i think that made for a healthy mix a bit of yin and yang a bit of yin and yang uh, well said jp well said that's what i'm here for <laughs> let's fast forward a bit to your time in wwf you originally got involved with the company in 92 during a cross-promotion angle between the WWF and the USWA, but it was in October 93 when you debuted as the country music star Double J Jeff Jarrett. Now, between your entrance music, your strut, and your promos with the phrase, Ain't I Great?, Fans love to hate you. Your WWF pay-per-view debut was in 94 in the Royal Rumble match, and coincidentally, you were eliminated by Randy Savage. Give our listeners some memories you have of Randy. You know that, and obviously, me and Randy, um, I, I, I was I was there on the Loser Leave Town uh, when he went to the WWF in '84, uh, I believe. Um, you know, I, I knew the um, history. I, I, I was I was obviously as a real young man, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, when the Poffos and the Jarretts, uh, I'll say, ran their opposition and the stories that came out of Lexington, Kentucky, and Rupp Arena. And, and all of that, but I love the Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, you know, a, as a kid, and then going there, and then, like you said, I, I, I get to the WWF. Randy's there. Uh, if memory serves me correctly, it was Providence, Rhode Island, um, and you know they, they're laying out the Rumble, and you know they, they basically said, hey, you know, just very general thoughts, and uh, you know they they like Jarrett. Uh, however, it went down. I knew I was involved in the Undertaker. And, and Yoko, that, that thing was rocking and rolling. But I, I remember going to Randy and Randy, I said, yeah, Randy, uh, fling me over. It was, it was an honor in, in my mind at that, you know, at that stage of my career to get eliminated by, by, by Randy. But, you know, I'm not going to be the first. I cer- certainly won't be the last. Randy's a super, uh, you know, the, the intensity that he, he brought to everything, a card game, a wrestling match. Uh, renting a car, ordering food, Randy was intense. Uh, so uh, it, it was no different that day in Providence. Can you imagine if I were a sensitive man, I would have been hanging in my room, you know, uh, overnight, you know what I mean? So I actually, I'm one of the toughest guys in the world because he was my older brother and I survived. So I can handle anything now. Lanny, without question, uh, you know, with your father and, and his intensity and his discipline, uh, legendary stories about, about the discipline in the family. And then the intensity with Randy, uh, it, it, no doubt, Lanny, hats off to you, uh, because you went through, I don't want to call it hell and back, but, uh, you are a tough SOB to survive that. I'll tell you what, these are the things I miss the most. And recently I was with Jay Lethal and, you know, he does the Macho Man imitation. So... Uh, I said, listen, if you really want to do it right, yell at me for no reason every 30 minutes. And he did. Lanny, what are you doing? And I, I said, that's what I missed the most because believe it or not, Jeff, that's how he showed his love. Yes. No, that that was Randy. If, if, if he didn't, you know, when he pulled you aside, and I don't want to say cuss you out because I, you know, I don't know. Look, I'm talking to his brother, but that wasn't in style. But 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 he had no problem not only giving you his opinion, but making you believe it. Uh, it's, one right. thing to, uh, it's one thing to spout off, but you didn't want to leave a conversation with Randy, no matter what it was, whether it was playing a, a card of rummy and he would tell you how he beat you, uh, but you couldn't always believe that because Randy w- w- was a, a special card player. But no, his intensity, it was, and he meant it, and he, 
but he said it out out of out of two things his his real passion for the business because uh, he wanted it done right and, and he believed in that but also he didn't take the time uh, and he used to call him uh <laughs> jack offs i'm not talking to that jack off over there because he won't listen to me but jared <laughs> come here and and, and he, he would pull me aside and i made trips with him and you know he would sit there and 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 he would really get deep in, into some real meaningful conversations about the business and and um, you know I was a heel and a young heel and he knew that you know I was a babyface in Tennessee for seven years and then when I went to WWF first time I was a heel and so Randy uh, I can remember some specific conversations uh, on on when to uh, when to uh, give the babyface. Uh, enough to keep the match going and then to really let it go and, and blow the comeback. Randy had a real fine line. Uh, and if you go back and watch his matches when he was a heel, I don't believe, uh, certainly for that era, he was the best. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't 6'5", uh, 280. Uh, and when you, when you think about, you know, at the height of Hulkamania, you cannot say Hulk Hogan's name without Randy Savage. Uh, so I, I truly believe that Muhammad Ali is the most famous boxer in the world. But if he would not have had uh, George Frazier, if he would have not have had, you know, the rumble in the jungle, if he wouldn't have had his true peer opponents, Muhammad Ali wouldn't be the, the, the name that he is today without those opponents. And I've often said that about Randy. Without Randy, I'm not sure. Yeah, Hogan, Hogan would have been without question super popular and Hulkamania would have run wild, but man, uh, you look back on time and at the height of Hulkamania, you cannot say Hulk's name without thinking of Randy or you're not truly uh, a, a wrestling fan. I agree a hundred percent. You know, that's, uh, that's great that the way you took the essence of the magic that was going on then and you understood it. And then you were able to explain it to the fans of the genius cast. Thank you for that. Yeah. No. And, and I mean that, you know, um, I can remember, and this is, boy, this, this, this goes back, and, and every day that I, sometimes when I tell stories, I think, oh, my God, I sound like my dad. Uh, but but, but, but it's, it, it's truly uh, so really true when you think about rivalries in, in, in sports or even in famous movies, but, you know, Darth Vader and, and all that. You just, and, and, and JP, hats off. You started down with the yin and the yang and Lawler and Jarrett and, and their booking philosophies and business philosophies. But you take it to a whole nother level, and and when you really think about Hulk Hogan, um, you, you you know, and yes, he had Orndorff and 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 DiBiase and Kamala, and he had some rivalries, but nothing compared to the Hogan Savage and the superpowers. They were partners in and huge box office attractions. They were they were mortal enemies, uh, and and you know when you think about the Randy Liz storyline that was. You know, I don't believe there's ever been, and I'm not sure the business today can capture that type of emotion. But you know, the 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 the, the love affair and how Randy and Liz created that aura around them. I don't believe that could have been done unless H Hogan was a, a part of that. So you look back, uh, and and Hogan and Savage, a lot of the yin and the yang, of uh, and 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 sometimes Randy, I believe, doesn't get the credit that he deserves on how instrumental uh, he, he, he truly is and was uh, over the years to the success of, and, and Randy, uh, if he was alive today, may smack the taste out of my mouth. But, but sports entertainment, when you think back, 
the transition because it truly tr- transformed in the eighties. But 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 Randy, a great professional wrestler, you throw in Liz, you throw in Hogan, and 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 that whole scenario. Randy was very instrumental in bringing professional wrestling uh, in, into sports entertainment. And I hope you take that as a compliment, uh, Lanny, because no, the fine line. I agree a hundred percent. I was going to, you know, I was going to chime in here, here. Uh, good for, you know, the fact that JP, he gets it, you know, he understands and then he's able to articulate it to the fans. You know, that's, uh, that's so amazing. Um, the truth is, you, ha- you cannot wrestle Jerry Lawler against Jerry Lawler. You need an opponent. You have to have a little vinegar in the greens. It gives them flavor. You can't, you got to have a little, uh, put a little spice in it, you know, and uh, otherwise it's just boring vanilla, you know. Uh, they got to they gotta have that chemistry. And uh, Jeff, you're a great interview. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. You know, uh, and not, not to belabor this, JP, I'll tell you this. Uh, and I just had this conversation. Um, where was it? I, I, I think I was in Manchester because I was in the UK uh, about six, eight weeks ago. And there were some guys doing the cosplay and one guy was dressed up as Taker. Anyway, there was a bunch of people, but, but they, they, these folks were walking off and they were talking about things. And I said, that's sort of the essence of our business. But when you, cause it, well, and I'm not finishing the story. Um, uh, I saw another guy at a convention not long after that, that conversation picked up. And it was, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, his, his persona when he really broke out was, you know, Austin 316, everything went with it. But you take Vince McMahon, the boss, uh, the, you talk about the yin and the yang, the, those two guys, just like Hogan and Savage, they define the attitude era. Uh, Austin, great performer, maybe the hottest single box office attraction uh, of all time. Uh, but man, you match him up and you put Vince who had been the baby face announcer. And then he reveals the curtain that he's the boss. So it was employee employer. Uh, uh, and it really hit home as well. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm enjoying this wrestling talk, Lanny, as if you couldn't tell. The attitude era, you just defined it, you know, and there was a lot of kicks to the groin involved, you know, I might be one of the few, but I was a big fan of the new generation era of WWF. One of the biggest angles going in 95 was around the song With My Baby Tonight, which you performed at the second In Your House pay-per-view in July of 95. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I got excited over watching you sing that on TV after you teased it for about a year and a half. Of course, it was later revealed that it was the roadie who sang it, Road Dog Jesse James, and you were lip-singing all along. But uh, isn't it interesting? Did you ever think that that song with my baby tonight, all these years later, that it would become prevalent again through the likes of, you know, Bruce Pritchard and so on? It not in your, my wildest dreams or anyone else's. If you could have said in 94 when we did the video and and just how that story completely took a new life of its own uh, here in the last couple of years. And, you know, David Zahadi directed that. and David and me worked at TNA all those years. Uh, you know, me and Bruce obviously worked back then. Uh, you know, when you look back on it, Bruce is the ones who uh, produced the original Double J vignettes. Uh, we obviously uh, worked together uh, at Impact and then, you know, with his podcast. And then, you know, another thing is this year we did um, uh, StarCast. And, and who would have thought me and Bruce did that song together on stage at StarCast. So, you know, me and Road Dog did it at Hall of Fame. So the song... Um, 
I, I will say this, and I think many people the, who were in the locker rooms at the time, and fans as well, but certainly in the locker rooms, everybody sort of knew it was a catchy tune and the story was good. And Brian is an incredible talent. Um, the, the, the pairing of us, uh, you know, like you said, I had uh, uh, teased from the very first time coming in uh, to the WWF at the time. Uh, that was, you know, my, my, my part of my character. And, you know, I teased it and teased it and teased it. And then that was before the roadie came along. And then the roadie came along. And, you know, nobody really had, from a fan's perspective, didn't have a clue it was going to be him and how it rolled out. So it was, uh, I, I thought, very captivating storytelling. And um, and if it wouldn't been captivating storytelling, I don't think me and you, JP, would be talking about it today in 2018 as we rolled into the holiday season. Right, absolutely. Gosh, we're talking uh, 24 years later, the song's still being talked about, and it, it gets stuck in people's heads, you know, which is, which is great. Yeah. After that pay-per-view, when seemingly – both you and Brian were on the cusp of great things storyline-wise. You and Brian, the roadie, left WWF. Why did you guys both walk out during that time? Yeah, there, there's a lot of backstory. And to this day, uh, literally to this day, uh, a lot of stuff has, uh, and, and properly so, uh, that we hadn't, we hadn't talked about because there was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, a lot of personal stuff. Uh, but, but, you know, it goes without saying there were creative differences amongst all of us. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was, uh, again, uh, you know, it, it's funny how things happened in, in 2001 um, that, that, you know, both incidences, uh, I, I dropped the IC title and, you know, we, we went our separate ways. And uh, so it was, you know, it was a business decision. Brian uh, made his decision. I made my decision. And, and, and that's how it went down. I, I will say it, it really left a cliffhanger, so to speak as a part of that story. Absolutely. Then it was brought back about a year and a half later. Now, you bounced around a bit after that. You headed back to the USWA, and then you had your first stint in WCW, but returned back to the WWF in 97, where you were until 99. Now, during that time, you were part of a tag team with Owen Hart. Off camera, you and Owen were close friends and traveled together for years. I'd love to hear a story or two of what it was like to be around Owen on the road with his ribs and larger-than-life personality. Well, you know, JP, I, and I always take this opportunity. I'll let others tell the rip stories at my Hall of Fame speech, and you can watch it on the WWE Network. There's a plug. <laughs> but you know, I, I uh, the, the 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 you know the rip stories. There's so many of them. Uh, I was just talking to a buddy of mine uh, here recently. It, it it was a new story. Kevin Sullivan in production uh, talked about the first day he, uh, that he was on the job. Uh, uh, Owen ribbed him in catering. But no, I always take the opportunity because Owen is obviously well-known uh, for his, his jovial prankster personality, but also his in-ring work. And I always like to reflect back on the man that he was. Um, I, I, I don't think people, you know, and you, and you got to know a guy. So, so uh, I, the people that didn't really know him personally, um, he's one of those guys that, that come along once in a lifetime, just uh, integrity across the board, sort of had, uh, not sort of, he did have his values right and his perspective on life right. Um, like I said, a lot of integrity, family man, great dad, great brother, uh, great father, uh, and a great friend. And, um, you know, to this day, I miss him. Yeah, as do the fans. I mean, I'm still heartbroken. There's a documentary his family's putting together. Um, his widow, Martha, and son, OJ, are, are a big part of this. And the director, 
he's been in touch with me and I've been trying to get him in touch with a few people in Japan because Owen did some work out there. And, you know, hopefully that will be coming out in around May of next year, but should be really good. Have you been in touch with those guys? Yeah, I, I was actually, um, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm not sure if I wasn't the first, I was one of the first, uh, back in uh, July, uh, I sat down with them, uh, when I was over in London doing the ain't he great tour and, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, a great organization, great company, great production company. And, you know, Martha um, uh, has given uh, her full blessing. Martha is the driver behind that. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see how it turns out. I know the people uh, that they've gotten in contact with, and I'm happy to hear that they, 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 they you know, they, they're really doing, you know, you can call it their due diligence or, or, or their storytelling and, and digging deep. So it, it's a, it's an incredible story. Obviously, it's heartbreaking uh, how it ended, but you know the the, the story and life of Owen Hart uh, that needs to be told. It does, and yeah, Keaton Stone, the one who's uh, one of the main forces behind it, really great guy. I can't wait for it to come out, and look forward to seeing you tell your stories on it. You left WWF in October '99 after your match against China at the No Mercy pay per view. Uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier, where you know, of course stories spread and you know how it is it's like chinese whispers and a lot of things are made out of it that it really wasn't you were intercontinental champion at the time and your contract was actually expired the day before the match if i got that right now the words jeff jarrett held the wwf hostage for money is often a phrase that's loosely thrown around when this topic is brought up and you've gone on record to share your side of things in the past but would you be comfortable sharing a bit about what happened leading up to that departure well, I, I just want to make sure we got our facts straight. So you're saying that I that I held them up? Was that with a knife or a gun? What was the actual hold up? How how JP? I, I just I want to make sure that I'm hearing your version of the story because there's a lot of versions. So if I held Vince and company up, how was that? Exactly. No, I'm just using the words. Things get made out to be what it's not. That was a very sarcastic remark by me <laughs> because it's it, yeah. It, 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 the, the insanity that goes with that, and yeah. the, the, the amount of times that I've, I've I've told the story, holding up Vince McMahon or holding up the WWF at the time is, like I said earlier, you know, never, ever let the facts get in the way of a good story. And that's something that I truly, and I mean this sincerely, it's something that I love about the wrestling business, the entertainment, is that, you know, the, the fans, we can live vicariously. And whether they want to be presented with the facts that's irrelevant. They want to see the story the way they want to see it. And that makes for good storytelling. So, uh, but no, it was, um, it was pretty simple that, that, you know, there's a lot of backstory. And, and like you said, I, I returned there in 97 and it was, uh, you know, um, however you want to say it bounced around. And then at the end of 99, when the contract was coming to a close, um, there had, there had been a lot of things that had gone down in those last two years. My wife was sick, uh, a lot of ups and downs, uh, basically you can say that from a creative perspective. Uh, but you know, I, I'm a guy who grew up in the business. I completely understand that it's a business, uh, first and foremost. Uh, and if you don't really view it as a business that then, then, then you already put yourself behind the eight ball. So, you know, um, with all due respect, you, you have to do what's best for Jeff and his family. Uh, but you also have to keep in mind that, that Vince, completely believes that you, you know, and, and rightly so he has to do what's best for the WWE. So, uh, the, the contract was, you know, coming to a close and I, you know, I, you can say, I don't 
I, it's not that I didn't like their offer. I didn't agree with it. I thought that, that I, I could make more money and I did quite a bit more. Uh, so it was time for me to move on. I knew that from a contractual point of view uh, and to Vince's defense at that time, he was taking his company public and for about 90 days, which was the real nuts and bolts of my negotiating period, he was literally flying around the world, legitimately flying around the world. Uh, and that's what you do when you take a company public, you have to talk to investment banks and, you know, it's obviously it's a, it's a massive, massive undertaking. So he wasn't around a lot other than raw and, and SmackDown at the time. So, you know, he would leave SmackDown and then go uh, again on another uh, meeting to take his company public. So, uh, and it's been documented. JR was heading up negotiations and he did what he thought was best for the WWE. And I did what I thought was best for Jeff and they didn't meet. And so uh, I took my, uh, talents elsewhere, as they say, and, uh, and went on and, and, and again, went to WCW and, and, um, that that's, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, sizzle in that. It's, it's pretty much steak, meat and potatoes. Uh, I didn't like their offer. They didn't, uh, come back, come up and I went elsewhere. You stood up for what you believed in and it obviously did end up going your way. I remember seeing an interview of yours. I believe it was, um, a DVD release from maybe 2009, where you were mentioning, had you had the conversation earlier in the day, and then you thought about it, and you said, you know what, that's not good enough, and you know, you then went up to Jim again later and said, right, this is how it's going to be, and you know, and if you don't fight for yourself, and this is not, for any situation, you're not going to get what you deserve, and you did in the end, and so of course stories do go around, and you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and 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 the fact is, is that Jim and company and anybody else, they obviously. There's no way in hell that the employer has to play the employee. They can they they have an they have a decision to make. That's the decision they make. When you think about you getting the call to go into the Hall of Fame this year, a few people were shocked. You know, obviously there was a lot of excitement. I'm so glad you were there, but it was just because of the way things ended. How did that call? You said you got the call in January. How did it go? Were you expecting it? Was it out of the blue? Oh, completely out of the blue. I I was shocked as much or maybe even more uh, than, than, the, than the fan who was shocked and surprised. I was humbled, uh, super grateful, and, and it happened on a Sunday morning. And, you know, I, as I look back on it, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I was, you know, Karen, I was ready. We were headed out to church, and I was already ready. And Karen and the kids, uh, per usual on a Sunday morning, everybody's trying to get ready and going 15 different directions. Uh, but I took the call up in my office, got a text and said, can you chat? And I went up my office, took the call. And, um, you know, it was, again, it was, uh, it's, I look back on it and you just go, wow, that really happened. Uh, but it was pretty cool. And then, you know, roll up to April 6th, uh, and, uh, very, very excited and great to reconnect with so many people, not just talent, but production people, office people, marketing people, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was very enjoyable and I'm super glad that my family got to enjoy it as well. Well, you had a wonderful speech and I had goosebumps watching you up there. It's where you belonged. You know, I don't think anyone who's put so much time into anything should be away from it for life, you know, and, and I'm glad you got to go back. And like you said, you mentioned there was a lot of guys from, you know, TNA and impact that you had worked with before who are now with WWE and you got to see them again. And it must've been quite nice for you just to have a bit of a catch up really. It was, and what's so cool, you know, WWE, they, they never miss a beat uh, with, with cameras, uh, although sometimes people like to criticize it. But, you know, they had the cameras rolling. It was the first time 
um, that, that since the announcement had been made, obviously I'd get a lot of texts and calls and all that, but you know, I hadn't seen AJ, I hadn't seen Bobby Roode. Um, God, I hadn't seen Brian James. There was a lot of guys that I hadn't physically seen. We'd been in the same space. And so, uh, the cameras were rolling. It, it's pretty ironic, but maybe not so ironic. Cause I don't believe in coincidences and convergence that Nashville was the go home show show, uh, for SmackDown. You know, that was on the Tuesday and the hall of fame was on a Friday. So, my, we'll call it my Hall of Fame week really started on that Tuesday morning at about six o'clock when the camera showed up at my house. So it's um, it's been, been pretty it was pretty incredible and, and very documented. And, you know, the stuff that uh, aired on the network was cool. And so uh, it was yeah, it, it was a special time. Talk about what are some of the things that you're most proud of post WWE? Uh, you know, it goes without saying uh, founding TNA and and. Um, you know, just the, the, and I'll call it the grind. Um, some people know, some don't know, but the people that were, you know, basically, uh, within, we'll call it the TNA originals, the grind that we all went through the collective efforts. I will say this as, as, as a, as, as a, a collective group, um, from 2002 to about 2009, um, man, you, you talk about some, a lot of hard work, a lot of ups and downs, but man, go, you know, getting that spike deal going from one hour, uh, you know, late night on Saturday night, basically spike saying, we're going to give you guys a shot. Uh, and, and in, you know, about two years, I don't know exactly, but you know, we went from one hour on late night, Saturday nights to two hours of prime time and then, um, you know, the highest rated show on the network and numbers were growing and, and, and just everything that went with, with it, with it house shows, live events, marketing, action figures, video games, you know, that kind of stuff, building a business uh, was really so rewarding in so many ways and seeing guys, you know, I, I, I started working with AJ Styles um, before he had kids, you know, when him and Wendy were just married and, and you know, <laughs> I could go on and on Bobby Roode and Joe and gosh, Jeremy Borash and that crew of people that we had that we all grew up. Uh, in essence, you know, I grew, I, I believe, from a businessman and, and in-ring performers, you know, across the board and just ha- how we saw things, how they developed. It was just very, very rewarding. So if there's one thing that I, I, I'm proud of, it, it would be that 2002-2009 era uh, that the business grew from, uh, as as the producers used to write in scripts, from a dream to a reality to a reality, I think they call it a, pheno- a phenomenon. Uh, based off AJ, uh, but it was cool. It was it, very rewarding. So uh, that 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 right up there. That you know, my work at, down in Mexico and AAA. Obviously, the U.S. audience isn't is in tune, but you know, I've gone down there um, for a lot of years and uh, longest reigning non-Mexican wrestler to hold their world title. Uh, won it again this year in a shocking return. Uh, but no, my work down there. Uh, and, and to, to be in that main event slot all these years, that, that's been very, very rewarding. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I don't know, JP, but, but uh, I'll, I'll let you guys decide that. But off the top of my head, it'd be the TNA years and the AAA stuff. We're going to be running a piece on our site, ProWrestlingStories.com, in the next coming weeks on the 70 years of the NWA. How did the opportunity for Global Force Entertainment come to co-produce that anniversary show, and what was your initial reaction when the idea was pitched to you? Well, it goes without saying, Billy acquired the brand uh, over a year ago, and you know, this year when it rolled around, um, 
you know, the Hall of Fame. I'm talking about me personally, the Hall of Fame situation. And, and you know, I knew, you know, I've had a relationship with fight, uh, with fight um, and that's something I'm very, very, not just proud of, I'm super excited about the future with, 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 with GFW and, and fight. But, um, you know, we were looking for events and NWA was looking to run an event and they had the 70th anniversary. And, and, and again, sort of like the song with my baby, if you would have told me in January or February, when we had our first discussions that NWA 70 would have taken place in the asylum with Cody Rose as the champion. And his father, you know, obviously in that building, Dusty in the asylum and the 70th anniversary and on fight. And, and we set up a, a live gate record. Um, you know, that's, you know, one of the roles I played for the event with NWA is I was the live event promoter. Uh, man, it, it was just super exciting. And, you know, my history with the NWA. And when I say my history, I'm not talking about going back just to 2002. I'm talking about my grandmother. Uh, and my father, you know, that the NWA is the traveling champion. We'll call it in the heyday of, of, of times. Uh, it was super, you know, it was what wrestling was. It's what I was grew up in, it, you know, flair funks, all the, all that. And so for me to get to promote the seventh anniversary show, super special, really, 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 really special from, from a, from a personal emotional level, a family level. So, um, and how it turned out, you know, who, who would have thought, uh, you know, the, b- back in the Rinky King days, the promotion in India that, that we got cranking. And I was, you know, I've, I've, from the day I met Nick Aldis, I've been high on him. He carries himself um, outside of the wrestling industry uh, like a gentleman, like a champ, uh, distinguished, and he's a great athlete. So, I, you know, I've always been high on him. And, and you know, he was the champ at Rinky King. And then, then for him to be, it just, you know, it's storybook and for me personally, it's a storybook, you know, Cody's defending and Nick wins it in Nashville record breaking crowd on fight did phenomenal numbers across the board. It's really, really been uh, a, a special experience with NWA guys and, and looking forward to 2019. Was it different to be working with the NWA under new management? Of course. I mean, it goes without saying the old NWA had, I don't know, 10, 12, 13, 14 promoters. And, and by nature, by the design, there wasn't a decision maker. Uh, there was a collective group. And that's always tough. It, it's just, especially in, in, in the wrestling business, you can look at Vince McMahon and look at WCW and which succeeded the person who had, you know, the organization that had someone where the buck stops with them, love it or hate it. He made the ultimate decision in WCW. There were times that I'm sure Eric, but Eric always had to play to a publicly traded company no matter how you slice it and dice it, it was never the buck stops with one person in that organization from the day Ted Turner acquired it. So, so that's the difference in the company. So you asked the question, how is it different? It's yeah, it's incredibly different. Uh, and I'm, I couldn't be happier for Billy and Dave McGonna and, and uh, just, you know, um, just where they're headed with the brand as well. How was it to be teaming with Billy Corgan again? Oh, great. I mean, it's great. You know, he, he obviously, it goes without saying, um, you know, his his background and his career and music, and he, he's not only a great musician and a great artist and a great performer, he's a businessman. So to be doing business with a businessman uh, goes a long way, and he respects the industry, knows the industry, very intelligent and knowledgeable about it. He's just not a musician who does this on a whim. He's in it for the long haul and for the right reasons, and he's a businessman. And so I got a ton of respect for that guy. 
and 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 couldn't be happier uh, for him personally and and where the brand's headed. Now, Billy Gunn, he was announced as one of Nick Aldis's upcoming challengers for the ten pounds of gold. How open would you be to throwing your name into the hat to challenge Nick in the future? Not open at all. <laughs> no, uh, you know, sh- sure, I'd lo- love to. Wrestling, obviously, is my first true love. But, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's a young man's game, and and although I, I you know, and I train every day, stay in shape, actively involved in Mexico, but you know, I, I don't feel. Uh, the need to try to pursue a NWA title match with Nick. I love my role as a live event promoter. But on the flip side, you you got to say, never say never. Never say never, indeed. And like you said, 2019, I think some great things are going to be coming. What is next for Jeff Jarrett, and what would you like your legacy to be? I, I leave that to you guys. Um, you know, what's next is, is you know, first and foremost, r- on my docket right up in front of me is WrestleCade Weekend. Um but the partnership with, with, with uh, Global Force and, and Fight just continues to grow. It started with Amy Great, just so almost sort of a, a litmus test. But, you know, StarCast was the big uh, first event, then NWA 70, and now we're, uh, you know, marketing Russell Cade and, you know, the events that we are lining up for 2019. I couldn't be more excited because, you know, just like the entire world, whether it's Netflix or the WWE Network or, or any form really of entertainment, everything's going streaming. And Fight is a technology-first company. And they got into, um, they basically rebranded their organization based off the success of Wrestle Kingdom 9, knowing that there's a wrestling audience, knowing that, you know, the wrestling audience will engage in, in technology and a streaming app and social media and everything goes with it. So what's next? is my partnership with, with, with Fight continue to grow, and I'm really excited about next year. Uh, Legacy, I'll leave that for, for you guys to decide. I think it's going to be good. Go to fight.tv. That's F-I-T-E. Great streaming program there. Jeff, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for bringing your authenticity to the Genius Cast. Some people, you know, you watch TV nowadays, they're great athletes and they're great wrestlers, but they act like they're reading. And you know why? Because they're reading. And, <laughs> yeah. But you are, you are, um, what you brought to the Hall of Fame was you brought yourself. You have yourself to offer. You're not just some guy reading, you know. Um, so that's why, in my opinion, it's your personality that brought you to the top and over the top. And thank you for bringing that same personality to the Genius Cast. You just made our show even better. Appreciate it, my friend. Appreciate it. Where can the fans find you? Easy. Uh, I was going to say, as you plug in fight, absolutely love that. GlobalForceWrestling.com has all the fight uh, and then more more content on what we're promoting, what's coming up. Uh, but but I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, at RealJeffJarrett. But, JP, I appreciate you guys. Lanny, I definitely appreciate your time today and uh, looking forward to coming back on and you guys have a great holiday season. You as well, Jeff. Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, JP. Thanks, Lanny. Well, how great was that? Uh, I appreciate Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Jarrett too, because and Christine Jarrett, you know, in the these she's deceased now. Um, if it weren't for these Jarretts, okay. Macho Man wouldn't have gotten the big push and neither would Lanny come along after. And uh, I, we wouldn't be interesting enough to talk to on a podcast 
all these ancillary benefits many years down the line. And uh, since it was Thanksgiving a few days ago and we are in the season to be jolly, hail to the Jarrett family. Thank you for all you have done for the Poffo family. Freak out! It's the Macho Man Clip of the Week. Oh, yeah! It's been a few weeks since we've done a Macho Man Clip of the Week. This one was sent to us by Joe Stasi. He's the one who heads up the ICW Poffos page on Facebook. Go check him out and hit subscribe over there. Now, this clip we're about to play, it's a rare promo from early 1979 on Nashville NWA television featuring your brother as Mid-American Champion. Well, a very interesting and controversial young man. Of course, none other than uh, Randy Savage, the current Mid-America Heavyweight Champion. And Randy, you've asked for time, and uh, the microphone is yours. The announcement of the century, they tried to take it away from me. Tom Ernesto went back, you tried to take it away from me yourself. Nick Goulas tried to stop it, he tried to throw the rug over it. The Macho Man is getting a world championship shot against Harley Race. Oh, no, well, let, let, let me correct That's that. That's the announcement. You have not been guaranteed a world championship shot against Harley Race. Now, I must say that you've done something unprecedented in wrestling circles. You have posted a $10,000 check asking for a guaranteed shot against Harley Race. Well, no amount of money is going to guarantee you a shot at Harley Race's championship. See, the way I got to figure to Renesto is that I'm the Mid-American champion around here, number one. Number one, and Nick Goose has been taking contenders from all over the world, and people are already calling me the uncrowned champion, you know what I mean? And the way I wrestle in the ring, the prophet told me that he doesn't know how much longer I can last going like this. He doesn't know if my days are numbered. I may not live a month from now or a couple of weeks from now. We don't know that, see? And the prophet told me, he says, better to be rich and dead than poor and alive. So realizing this, I put up a $10,000 bond, appearance bond to Nick Goulas' desk. $10,000, man. $10,000 I haven't spent on robes. $10,000 I haven't spent on women. Cameron Esso, I think I got that shot, brother. I think the Mid-American champion is going to get a shot at Harley Race, and I think the seconds are ticking away on a clock well, before I something. can go into the ring and look across on the other side of the ring and see that gold, that iron. There's another gentleman who feels equally uh, about an opportunity at Harley Race. That's none other than the Mexican Angel. Oh, bring him up. The wetback friend, your wetback friend. He's down. He's through. In fact, on this hour, I have got a man that is going to go against the Mexican Angel and he's going to eliminate him so I will have the clear path to go against the world champion Harley Race. One other I'm gentleman who would like a shot also is Big Walter Johnson. What about him? I'm through with the spook. I put him down in front of thousands and thousands of people. See, when you sit some people that go up there and say that the macho man can be beat, those are 10,000 people telling 10,000 lies. Well, Randy, thank you very much for your very interesting comments. We have another match that we have to get on with. The prophet told me that the world championship is coming my way, and who can argue against the prophet right now? So not your wet back friends. You dig what I'm saying? I dig it, son. $10,000. In the promo, he talks about pulling out a $10,000 bond to secure a world championship match against Harley Race. Unfortunately, that match never did end up taking place, but it was surreal hearing your brother cut a promo as the Macho Man before his distinctive voice that he was known for later on in his career was really in full effect. 
as well. It was very interesting to hear your brother get heat by using derogatory language like that on television. Definitely not the type of promo you can get away with nowadays. So, Joe asks, what led up to his match with Harley Race, and why did it never take place? I haven't the slightest idea, but amazingly, you're right. That's before he got his gimmick. That's before he came to me, and we decided to imitate Pampero Furpo. And that's before his voice evolved. And the amazing thing is, once he found his voice, he kept it in his real life. So we'd, he'd actually call up, hello, how you doing? Yeah. And in other words, real life imitated art and art imitated real life. And he blurred the line between the Macho Man and Randy Poffo and became, he metamorphosized into the Macho Man. And that's what's so amazing. It became his life. His character became his life. What I liked about that promo was is your brother was doing the mannerisms that he would do later on with Mean Gene Okerlund. He was turning around. He was facing away from the camera. That's typically unorthodox for cutting a promo. They say, look at the camera, look at your audience. But your brother never needed to do that. He owned the stage. Whenever he was talking, you listened because he was doing things like not look at the camera, turn around, and you never knew what he was going to do next. And so you could see elements of that in that promo. He also mentions a prophet, followed by using your dad Angelo's infamous rich and deadline. Was the prophet your brother was referring to your dad? No, he was just searching for subject matter, okay? And he was struggling with it. And he was trying so hard to be a great interview. And the reason he was turning around, you know, with his back to the camera, because King Curtis Iakea in Hawaii in 1967, he did that. And he would have his back to the camera, you know, something, oh, you know, all that stuff. I can't imitate him very well. But we were exposed to two great interviews, King Curtis Iakea and Pampero Furpo. Now, by the time Iakea got to the WWF, um, he wasn't as good then as he was back in Hawaii. He gotten older, and uh, I'm just telling you, he used to go with Whisper to medium, to high, and then back down. That was Iakea in Hawaii when he was great. I don't have any video of that, but fans, if you're listening, and if you remember any of the Ed Francis 50th State Hawaii wrestling, you know, send it to send it to JP's archive and we'll play it because I really have some beautiful memories of people that were a tad askew and took this wrestling business into their individuality. And that's what's missing today. Send it to the GeniusCast at ProWrestlingStories.com. That's our email. Or, of course, go on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, doesn't matter. Send us a personal message there, and we could be found on all three platforms at the GeniusCast. We're going to go to the questions of the week. Jeffrey Black, he reached out to us on Facebook, and he asks... Do you have any memory about my late boss, Dale Mann? Wait, didn't he murder one of his referees and get away with it? That's what I heard. I heard he murdered one of his referees and got away with it. And uh, back in the early days of the ICW, we used Dale, Dale Mann's ring. And then when, you know, the relationship got a little strained, we built three rings of our own. Okay. And that's when, um, you know, we got our own ring truck and everything. But when we were doing it spasmatically, we were using Dale Mann's ring, paying him for it, and then he would wrestle and this and that. Well, eventually, my brother and him did not get along. And so 
uh, I haven't seen him in many, many years. And then I understand he passed away. But I did hear that he had murdered his referee. And then all these wrestlers that he employed went to court on his behalf. And then somehow he got away with it. But if you know anything about that, email us. Let us know. We'll, we'll dig the story up and uh, we'll open up the case again. What I was able to gather was that Dale TNT Mann, he was the promoter of his own mid-continental wrestling promotion. He did shows around Southern Kentucky, right around where you and ICW were running their shows. They had weekly Sunday night shows in Georgetown, Kentucky, and Mann faced a murder charge in the 90s. Now, as, as you mentioned, we don't have all the details, but what I was able to find was he was acquitted. And not everyone was sure that the truth came out in the trial. Imagine that. And that was because um, many of man's key witnesses, like you mentioned, that the people that were supporting his alibi were some of his workers for the MCW shows. So, you know, it's interesting to hear about. It was something I heard for the first time, but I had mentioned that to Jeff Black, the one who had uh, reached out to us on Facebook saying, yeah, you know, uh, Lanny remembers him because of this situation with the referee. He's like, he didn't do it. You know, so (laughs) there you go. He worked with him, um, you know, We'll leave that up to the judge. And I don't know what the uh, what the outcome was there. Obviously, he didn't go to jail. Did you know, Did he go to jail? I have no idea, but I I understand the the plaintiff died with more holes in his body than he was born with. That's true. Not a good way to go out. Well, we're gonna move on. Paul Diamond on Twitter asks: I just learned that you're a vegetarian. I'm very curious. What is your favorite dish? Meat. Okay. No. Um. The thing is, I'm a vegetarian that cheats, okay? When I was in Japan, I wasn't going to be a vegetarian in Japan. I was going to, they have Kobe beef. I ate it, okay? And uh, like I said, I love Anthony Bourdain. So when I'm home, I purposely bought a place that was walking distance from Whole Foods and walking distance to Crunch Fitness. And I'm going to live the rest of my life as a crazy health nut. But when I go on the road, like, for example, I'm going to be going to Calgary in the springtime. I'm going to have Alberta beef. It's the greatest in the world. And, you know, why wouldn't I? Uh, If you're going to go, it's not what you do one day that counts. It's what you do every day that counts. So I'm a fanatic, let's say 350 days out of the year. But the remaining 15 days, I'm going to be doing what I want to do. And that is, for example, enjoying the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and what have you. What is your favorite vegetarian dish to prepare? Oh, I believe that kale smoothies. Okay, I've got the uh, Vitamix. I put the kale in and um, distilled water. Uh, Add a little frozen mango. You drink that down. Okay, it's not as good as Dunkin' Donuts, but (laughs) it's better for you. Right. Sounds good, actually. Marcus Holland on Twitter asks, Am I remembering wrong? I seem to recall back in the early 90s something about Hacksaw Jim Duggan being struck with cancer when he was with WWE. He says he's very sorry if he was wrong about this. No, actually that happened. Uh, from what I understand, uh, he had renal cancer. And the lucky break was they decided not to do a biopsy, just take the kidney out. If they had done a biopsy, it might have spread. But instead, they nipped it in the bud, they took out the kidney, and you now he has one kidney, but it you know it's better than nothing. If you got no kidneys, you're you're dead. But um, he beat cancer, and that's a pretty good win. Thank God for that. 
Emma from Scotland reached out to us with a great question. She wrote, I've been a huge fan of your brother since I was in single digits. One thing that really annoys me is reading comments online where people say that your brother's promos and in-ring persona and outfits were down to drugs. I feel this is not only ignorant, but it cheapens the hard work that your brother put into his character, not to mention his huge talent. Do you have anything to say to these people who constantly say the Macho Man was clearly using drugs and stating this as a fact with no sources? Yes, they're jealous. Okay, even though he's not alive anymore, they're still jealous. He was very hard guy not to be jealous of. Fortunately, I decided many years ago to not be jealous because, um, you know, I'll be the best Lanny I can be. He'll be the best Randy he can be. And together, um, I was very happy for a success. Emma, you are a genius. She's written a couple questions in the past. We got a couple saved for future episodes. We love listeners like her. E.T. Pennell on Facebook, he wrote in asking, do you still have copies of the tapes of the ICW shows? And if so, would you be open to releasing them on DVD? Thank you for the question, and I have a thing from the ICW. Do you know someone who does? Has there ever been talk about potentially putting out releases? Because there seems to be a lot of interest in the ICW promotion. Just the ones that are on YouTube. I have no idea. That's the only time I see anything from the ICW is on YouTube. And I have no idea where they came from or where it is now. If you've got ICW tapes in good condition, reach out to us at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. We'd love to see it. And, you know, we never know. Maybe we'll be able to put enough together to put out a future release. And for our last question this week, Caleb Fulkerson reached out to us via direct message on our Facebook page at the Genius Cast. He wrote, Lanny, you seem to have a keen interest in music and musicals from what I've been able to hear in your interview with Concrete and hear on your podcast. Your rendition of Camelot was very whimsical and well sung. Being that music is my passion, I enjoy hearing other people's views on music. When did you get into music? And was anyone else in the Poffle family interested in it? I appreciate your devotion to fans and thank you for the hard work you bring for entertainment. Well, many years ago, the role of King Arthur was played by Richard Burton and in the movie of uh, Richard Harris. And the role of Sir Lancelot was played by Robert Goulet. Well, many years later, um, they toured with Camelot and this time... Robert Goulet was now too old to play Lancelot, so he played King Arthur, and it was just fantastic to see him play the both roles, okay? And he was a bit of an alcoholic, and in the second act, he bumbled his lines, and it was kind of great because the fans, he made a little joke about it, and the fans kind of like knew that he was having a little trouble with it, and yet it kind of made the whole thing more memorable. It's just something that... um I enjoyed Broadway musicals, and now I have a thing called, uh, for $9.99, okay, you get, um, it's called Broadway HD, and now I've got in the palm of my hand about 200, uh, not just musicals, but dramas, Shakespearean, and different things, so I've been watching, you know, different um, Broadway plays, and uh, it's much cheaper than going to Broadway, although it's one of my few luxuries in life um whenever i get a chance i attend broadway shows and um also when they come to tampa clearwater and st petersburg i also do it there too what are your thoughts on west side story by chance when you're a jet you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last, last day, day. 
Yes, I. It's a great thing, and a lot of people don't realize that is a ripoff of Romeo and Juliet. And it's just add, you know. Uh, although there's some, it's about the same plot, and uh, yeah, I enjoy all Broadway shows. Okay, if as long as they're, you know, when I was, um, I don't know, about eight years ago, I went to see Warhorse. In, uh, and it wasn't on Broadway, it was in the Lincoln Center, which in my opinion is better than Broadway, okay? Not on Broadway, but better than Broadway. And I was amazed at how great it was with the creativity and the, I mean, if you're interested, Google it, um, the War Horse, the Broadway musical, and you'll see that the puppets that they used, which were full-size horses, um, it's it was just amazing what was what can be done, you know, with um, with your imagination. Absolutely. Now I asked about West Side Story because that was something that was in my family from when I was little, and that movie played a huge role in our lives growing up. And you know, every single song in that movie I can sing word for word. I just met a girl from named Maria, and suddenly that name will never be the same again. Maria. Say it loud and there's music playing. Say it soft and it's almost like praying. Maria. I'll never stop saying Maria, Maria. Oh, wow. <laughs> now we're really getting people off our show. Well, I'm glad you <laughs> saved it for the end because, you know. Okay, we promise that we're not going to do this much more. No, we can't promise that. This is our show, Lanny. If we want to sing West Side Story or we want to bust out a rap song or what have you, we're going to do it on our show because where else are you going to get such a range like that? Gee, Officer Krupp Key, Krupp you. You never met a fellow with the social duzzies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm glad we waited to the end, though. Yeah, that's right. All right. With that said, for now, so long. And thank you, Jeff Jarrett and your family. I just want to say, not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this genius cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. We had a lot of fun this week, and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z like zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. Listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo.
This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at JP Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time.